My name is Bill, and if I uh, don't know you, I'd love to get to know you afterwards. Uh, tonight we're beginning a uh, new series for the spring in the Minor Prophets. And uh, they are minor, not because they're underage, um, or because they are less important than uh, the uh, longer prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, but because they're shorter. Chris describes them as the verbally efficient prophets. And um, we're calling this series Understanding the Heart of God because the prophets speak for God. And when they speak, they reveal to us what God cares deeply about. Um, now, the writing prophets, I think I have a map. Uh, we can move forward there a little bit. Uh, the writing prophets uh, fit into this, this big sweep of biblical history. Uh, if you know your Old Testament, this comes after the Exodus, the deliverance from Egypt, and then the giving of the law uh, to the people through Moses, and then the conquest of the land uh, under uh, the leadership of Joshua, and then the establishment of a uh, kingdom with, with kings, uh, a united kingdom, which subsequently divides into a northern and a southern uh, kingdom. And it's during the last days of this divided kingdom, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, that the prophets uh, that are contained in our scriptures uh, are, are writing. And while the prophets, we hear the word prophecy and we think of the future, they, they do speak of uh, future events, but more often they focus on the current situation that God's people are in. And um, they are usually... Uh, telling the people they're not in a good situation, and they're calling them back to faithfulness uh, to God. And so, sadly for them, I, I think about the message that some of them were called to preach. Their message was very often uh, one of rebuke and of warning to God's people. And, and that's what the prophet Amos uh, was called to do as well. Uh, he is one of the more hard-hitting of all the prophets. I, I, was, I read something that said there's more judgment uh, then the balance of judgment to hope in Amos um, is, 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 is more than in any of the others. Tonight, I'm, I'm going to do three things as we dive into Amos. First, we want to we look at the situation that he is speaking into. And then secondly, we want to see what this reveals uh, about God's heart. And then third, uh, talk about some ways for us to, uh, some ways for us to respond. So what's the situation uh, that Amos is speaking into? Sometime around 750 B.C., so 8th century before the time of Christ, God sends this man, Amos, who describes himself, he was a, a rancher and a farmer. He lived in a small town um, way down here in Judah, a little town of uh, Chicoa. Uh, and God sends him north uh, up to Israel, to, to speak on his behalf to the people there. And so the question is, why? Why, why does God want Amos to go up there and speak? And, and the historical context is that for Israel, uh, these were good times. Um, this was a time of stable government. Uh, it was a time of uh, limited intervention, particularly from the north of, uh, of foreign armies and regimes. And as a result, uh, both Israel and, and Judah uh, we're experiencing a time of wealth and prosperity that, that was unparalleled since uh, the days of King Solomon. 
Um, and this was especially true for the, for the northern kingdom, Israel. So it's good times for them, prosperity. So why does God send uh, this farmer from this small town in Judah up to, to rebuke Israel? Well, if you read the book of Amos, uh, you come away with a pretty clear picture of what was going on in Israel at this time. And so on the one hand, for some, yes, it was a time of great prosperity. Um, the, the, the wealth and prosperity that some of them were experiencing had, had led, uh, as it so often does, into a, a, a stratification uh, within their culture. Israel went from being a classless society of, of clans to, to now with, with uh, the monarchies and uh, prosperity, the development of an, of an affluent and a leisured upper class who adopted, as, as we'll see in just a sec, a really decadent lifestyle of, of excess. And so Amos gives us this vivid description, uh, and I hope you'll read the, uh, the book. I hope you'll read all of these as we're going through them. Um, a vivid description of, of their, their wasteful and their luxurious lifestyle. They owned multiple homes. Uh, they were lavishly decorated with opulent furnishings. They were feasting on the finest of foods. They were spending their time in all kinds of idle amusement and entertainment. But just some highlights. Let's, let's look at this, uh, this next text. So uh, this, this is uh, out of chapter 6. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory, stretch themselves out on their couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. In other words, who don't care about what's happening in, in, their, in their land and in their nation. Or, or go on to the next. Um, Amos is, is announcing judgment, but just notice they've got a winter house and they've got a summer house. They're houses of ivory, of fine furnishings. So it's good times for many of them. Great wealth, prosperity, and, uh, and luxury. But for other people, while this is happening, other people are having a very different experience. At the same time that, that, that some of the people are living the good life, Amos sees how these, these rich and powerful people are ruthlessly exploiting the poor and the defenseless uh, in, in their land. The poor are being taken advantage of by dishonest uh, merchants uh, who use dishonest scales to, to, to weigh out their goods. They're, they're being uh, oppressed by wealthy landlords who charge high rents for the use uh, of their land and, and get rich off the, of the poor that way. There's political corruption. Uh, there's bribery. Uh, there's rampant materialism. There, there's this luxury that we've seen and this, uh, this kind of wanton indulgence in pleasure for people who could afford it. But the poor of the, of the land are simultaneously being ignored and, and exploited and, and abused. And so, and, and so it's a situation where people are they're, they're turning a blind eye to this inequity and this injustice and, and to this growing disparity between those who enjoyed great wealth, uh, power, and privilege, and those who suffered in poverty and oppression. Um, uh, you know, I couldn't read Amos without, without thinking of the recent news stories coming out of Oxfam that uh, uh, eight individuals 
own more combined wealth in the world today than the, the lowest 50% of the world population. Eight individuals currently hold more wealth among them. You could fit them all in, in, a, uh, in a minivan. They own more wealth together than the lowest 50% uh, of the world population, a, a vast disparity. And uh, we, we have a, a kind of a, a disparity here. Go, go on to the next. And so you see Amos announcing this injustice. It's not only uh, inequity, but the, this injustice for three transgressions of Israel, says the Lord. And for four, I will not revoke punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Or uh, this next one from down at the bottom uh, from, from chapter four, Amos uses this very graphic language. He describes the, the women uh, uh, of Israel as cows. Uh, this idea, and he says, he says, hear this, you you cows of, of Bashan who are on the mountains of Samaria who oppress the poor. In other words, you're enjoying a great uh, wealth and, and, and fatness and you oppress the poor who crush the needy who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Or, or this, go on to the next uh, from uh, Amos chapter 8. More of the same. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? It's like, uh, when, when will this religious observance be over so we can get back to making money? When will the Sabbath be over that we may offer wheat for sale? And then you see the injustice, that we may make the, the ephah small, the, the, the measure of, of grain Small and the shekel, the amount we charge, great, and deal deceitfully with false balances that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. So it's a time of, of great prosperity for some, yes, but of great suffering for others. And those who have the, the wealth and the power, what Amos is seeing is, is that they are living with, with disregard for God, disregard for his laws, disregard for, for justice. Uh, they, they lack compassion for the people, uh, their own people who are poor and, and who are afflicted. They, they love their work. They love making money. Uh, they resent God intruding into their making money but with, with Sabbaths and, and all of that. I mean, it sounds uncannily familiar. So this is the situation that Amos is, is speaking into, that God sends him to Israel to speak about. And so what is this, what is it, the word that, that the Lord gives to Amos? What does it tell us about the heart of God? Uh, two things that we could mention many, but two things. It, it tells us that God cares about justice. And it also tells us that God cares about uh, what I'm going to call integrity. God cares about justice. The Hebrew uh, word for justice is, I, I don't speak Hebrew, is, is mishpat. 
It occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament. I mean, that alone gives you some sense that, that this is a, this is a, a frequent uh, concept. And it's most, most basic sense. Uh, we use the word justice. It means fairness. It means uh, equity. equity. Um, and over and over again, uh, the term is used uh, in Scripture in relation to the most vulnerable members of society. It's used in reference to the widow, to the orphan, to the, to the immigrant or the alien. It's used in reference to the poor. Because these are the ones, why is God concerned about justice for them? Because these are the ones with obviously the least social power, uh, with the least material resources. Therefore, these are the ones who are most likely to be neglected and exploited and oppressed. And what does scripture tell us? It tells us that God cares for these who are the most vulnerable. God calls himself, uh, Psalm 68, God calls himself, he says, I am a father to the fatherless. I am a defender of the widow. Tim Keller has a, a, a great little book called Generous Justice uh, that I recommend to you. And he says this, this care for the vulnerable is one of the main things that God does in the world. He takes up their cause. He doesn't identify himself with the elites of society, with the wealthy, with the powerful, but with the outcasts, with the poor, with the powerless. And we see this supremely demonstrated where? In, in the, the incarnation of Christ. What does scripture say about him? Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. Though he, uh, though he existed, uh, Paul will say in Philippians, uh, in, in equality with God, he did not regard his equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself, taking the, the, the form of a servant and being found in human uh, appearance. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. Uh, Christ humbles himself, he comes down, what, to, to rescue, uh, to give himself for the vulnerable, for the outcast. His reputation among the powerful of his own day was, who is this guy who hangs out with what? With sinners. He identifies with those who others reject. And scripture tells us that that failure to care for these most vulnerable members of society is a failure to do justice. God cares about justice. And, and you know, the, the question that we have to, that needs to resonate with us tonight is do we? Do we? Do we really? Do we really? And the, the reason he's so upset with Israel in the time of Amos, these are his covenant people. I mean, God has very strong words for all the, the other, other nations, but these are his people. These are the people who supposedly are related to him through redemption, uh, through his, his covenant. Uh, people who are supposedly living according to, 
to his word. And rather than caring for the things that he cares about so deeply, they are what? They are self-interested. They are self-absorbed. And they don't care about those who are suffering. God cares. He cares about justice. But he also cares about integrity. Uh, Amos is, is not only concerned that, that God's people lack uh, a social concern for the needy in their midst, but he sees this as magnified. This is made so much worse because there's simultaneously this complete lack of integrity in their worship. At the same time that they're behaving very badly in terms of doing justice, these people who, as I said, are, are supposedly God's people, well, they are on the one hand very religious. They're gathering for worship services and having their banquets and uh, bringing these different kinds of prescribed offerings and, and they love to sing their praise songs. So on the one hand, their religion is it's full of enthusiasm and it's full of emotion, but it completely lacks integrity because it's disconnected from from God and the things that he cares about. It's disconnected from God, for example, and his, his zeal for, for justice and his concern for, for the poor. It, it was, in other words, an external ritual, but not a heartfelt devotion that, that works itself out in righteous living. So it's an outward display of religiosity, but with no substance. And, and that's, that's what we call, that's what God calls, that's what Jesus calls hypocrisy. It, you know, their impatience to get back to work so they can make more money. Uh, they're, they're essentially living these lives that on the one hand, uh, going to services, offering sacrifices, singing songs of praise, and all the while living lives of luxury for their own comfort, disregard for the needy, disregard for the glory of God. And in the end, what Amos says to them is, this is not true religion at all. This is, this is self-worship that you guys are engaged in. This is idolatry. This is not true worship. And, and that's why Amos, some of his strongest words are against their, their religiousness. God, God says to them, I hate, I mean, that's the word, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. He says, take away from me the noise of your songs. I don't want to hear you singing these songs of praise to me when your lives are a travesty of the kind of people I have called you to be. And so the issue is not that God despises the, the forms of worship. He prescribed them. He, he, he gave them to, to them. Uh, it's that he despises this total disconnection. The external form doesn't bring God honor or pleasure when it's not an expression of, of an authentic living faith worked out in life. The, the, the external 
coming to meetings, singing songs, taking communion. You know, what, what, what are our, our practices? It's of no value in the context of a heartless disregard for the welfare of others. I mean, who is God? God is a merciful God. How can he take pleasure in, in a people who he's had mercy upon, who make a pretense of worshiping him while, while they're living without showing mercy? to those who are poor and suffering. And brothers and sisters, I, I mean, we, we need to feel the weight of this. We need to feel the weight of this. As Christians, our, our, our Christianity is not just for our own comfort. It's not just to be part of some kind of a club with people who think the same way we do. And, and we... You know, our, our holy huddle, we sort of turn our back on the world. And so Amos thunders. And you, you can't read this uh, without feeling that. So what are some ways for us to respond? God cares about justice. He cares about integrity in our worship. That's why he sends Amos to, to rebuke Israel. And wh- what are some ways that Maybe he's speaking to us tonight, some ways for us to respond. Well, let me suggest a a couple. You may have others that are occurring to you. But uh, one that I think needs to be said, one response is don't be deceived. Prosperity does not always equal blessing. And uh, this is an error that Christians throughout the centuries have fallen into and that many in our world today fall into. Prosperity is sometimes an indication of God's blessing, but it is not always an indication of God's blessing. And many of the, the Israelites in, in Amos's time, they took their wealth and their prosperity and the good times they were enjoying as, oh, this is unmistakable evidence that God is pleased with us. But in fact... Their wealth and their power was not evidence of the blessing of God. As Amos says, you guys are actually under God's judgment because of your lack of a compassionate use of the wealth that God has given you. So Christian, the the Bible does not say that wealth is bad or that poverty is good. It does not teach that. But it does always call us to, to uh, use whatever wealth we've received in a compassionate way, in a generous way. God doesn't delight in, 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 in people amassing wealth who have no regard for justice, uh, who have no regard uh, for the, the needy, and, and who imagine uh, that they can, they can hoard up wealth and remain in God's good graces while they harden their heart to others. So don't don't fall into that trap. But secondly, I, I think Amos calls us to say, let's let's also check our hearts. Uh, John Piper, some of you have heard of him. Um, he says, does Amos refer to anyone today? And he, he says, people who live uh, for their comfort and don't grieve over the lost, people who are experts in loving themselves but have not thought the very first thought about what it means to love their neighbor. 
as themselves. He says, what governs your getting, your spending, isn't the desire to fill your little years with as much comfort as you can, or is it the God-given desire to do as much good for others as you can to the glory of Christ? That song we just sang, from the love of my own comfort, deliver me, O God. Go to the next slide. You know, Amos... He appeals to the people, seek good, not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. Hate evil, love good, establish justice. And it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious. And Amos is saying to those people, if you're hearing my message, maybe you need to repent and change your ways. And And, you know, we need to to hear that as well. We need to check our hearts and ask, God, how am I living for my own comfort and ignoring the needy? And that leads me to the third thing is having heard the word of God tonight, having, having understood or been reminded in some way tonight of what God cares about. How can we walk out of here tonight without responding to that word? And so my challenge to to each one of us is take a step. I, I don't know what that step will be for each one of us, but take a step. Find a way to begin to show compassion to those who are in need. Don't don't make excuses. Uh, some of you might say, "Well, I'm not rich." And so this couldn't be talking to me. Don't make that excuse. Um, Or you might say, well, I'm not exploiting anybody. Um, Don't don't try to to edge out from under what what God is saying to us tonight by making those kinds of excuses. Uh, There's a great book called Give Me Neither Poverty Nor Riches, A Biblical Theology of Wealth and Possessions by uh, Craig Blomberg. And uh, he writes... Quote, the key to evaluating any individual church or nation in terms of its use of material possessions, whether personally or collectively or institutionally, is how well it takes care of the poor and powerless in its midst. That is its own cultural equivalence to the fatherless and the widow and the alien. And, and so, you know, my question is, who are the poor and powerless in our midst? Take a step in their direction. And that might be, uh, I mean, there's so many different ways you could do that. might be in terms of various kinds of organizations that you could connect with. I've been reading this week uh, 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 on the website of an organization called World Relief, which is a sound Christian organization that is its mission is to bring aid to the world's most vulnerable, including refugees and uh, children who are vulnerable. World Relief, there are organizations like Samaritan's Purse. There are local organizations like Choice One, that uh, are committed to our most vulnerable members of our society, the unborn. Uh, 
there, there are many different ways, just through things that you can get connected with here at Princeton University, that you can begin to take a step to find a way to begin to show compassion to those who are in need. Because true religion, the, the religion that, that, that brings pleasure to the heart of God, must inevitably work itself out in compassion and in tangible love for other people. And the, the New Testament, this is not Old Testament, and then we get to the New Testament and it's all different. The, the New Testament hits this theme repeatedly. Just one example from uh, uh, 1 John. Next slide. By this we know love. First, that he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. And our appropriate response to that, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And here's this, 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 this issue of, of both justice and integrity. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Take the step, find a way to begin to show compassion. God is not impressed with our songs of praise if our lives are not an act of worship for him and an act of service toward other people. That's why he says, uh, uh, this slide, come back to, come back to Amos. Take away from me, God says, the noise of your songs. To the melody of, of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Justice and righteousness. God cares about these things. This summarizes both who God is and what he desires. And, and for us as, as his people, they tell us how we are to live before him and how we are to live in relation to other people. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, tonight the words of Amos would thunder again in our hearts and in our minds and would resonate with us deeply with a fresh reminder of what you care about. And that where we need to, we would acknowledge and repent of our love of our own comfort, of our external or perhaps self-absorbed religiosity that pays little attention to those in need around us. Father, we, can't, we, we think of our beloved Savior who said that he came to preach good news to the poor, liberty to the captive. Father, and certainly he has delivered us. I pray that we might go forth even as he has sent us into the world and be people as he was, a 
of compassion, of love, of generosity, of justice and righteousness. We pray in Christ's name.